Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Players Are Loud. Super cool episode today because I've got my brother from another mother, Mike Whitaker, with me. And um, yay! So uh, Team Nashville, right? Um, Mike and I, man, we go way back in our in our working relationship and in our friendship. We're both transplants, basically, for, from out of town to, to Nashville. I came from Atlanta. Mike came from L.A., and um, we met each other relatively, relatively soon within the the time that that we both moved here. I think within a within a year of each other, um, if I if I remember correctly. But um, Mike is a my gosh, he's he's the quintessential um, virtuosic musician composer. Um, a lot of you know him from his from his keyboard playing. Um, he's got solo records out of his own that are just great, great players, incredible musicians and incredible compositions. He's got a robust film scoring career history. He's, he's done all sorts of things related to media in, in different contexts, not just, not just performance oriented and not just music writing oriented. He's, he's been an MD before on television shows. There's, his resume is is pretty sick. So, um, Mike, thanks so much for being here, man. It's it's always obviously good good to see you, and and I appreciate you being on the program. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely uh, uh, happy to be here, and uh, good to see you, man. Uh, definitely miss jamming and playing and um, and all that good stuff. So when you're like, uh, hey, do you have any time to? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've got nothing but time. <laughs> we didn't have much trouble booking this interview. Yeah, exactly. Our, see. Yeah, our respective calendars uh, are filled with woe. <laughs> uh, actually, no, that's that's actually not completely true. I mean, both of us have had the the blessing of of some things come in, but yeah, times are different, and there certainly is more flexibility within the schedule. I gotta say, you know, looking at your screen, I have to congratulate you. You won the home studio wars okay you you won uh yeah thanks. <laughs> you're uh velvet cinema right um yeah velvet well we've cinema tracked studio. so many incredible pieces of, of music we videoed so many incredible things man please tell us about your your studio and how that came to be because man that is a you don't have just a room studio like like i do i mean you, you this is a legit studio tell us about that well thanks man well, I mean, I would have to back up, I guess, to L.A. You know, like I said, like you said, we 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 moved here similar times. We had similar interests in jazz and fusion. You know, there's like three of us out here that, <laughs> that like that. Uh, so that was definitely a good connect. But you know, when I first moved here um, in L.A., um, I, I decided to get out of there. And uh, it was just getting so crazy, so crowded, and traffic was insane. So moving here from L.A., uh, I was able – I did pretty well in real estate there to where, you know, if you move from L.A. prices to Nashville prices, you can get a pretty amazing place. So uh, that was really cool. And uh, so originally my studio, if you remember, was upstairs – in a bonus room over the garage and it was really nice yeah that studio uh, and, was nice too and this all used to be a gym this used to be like you know my wife's a personal trainer 
So we had a legit gym down here. Not that I use it, but I <laughs> used it. But it was down here. And uh, and then she got a gig working for another company to where she wasn't really using it. And, uh, and I was like, man, that sure is a nice space in the basement. <laughs> and so she let me graciously take over down here. And um, so, the, uh, you know, you're familiar with the Studio Muscle Shoals. Um, you know, real uh, iconic studio in Alabama. So the guy who designed Muscle Shoals uh, also designed my studio. Um, oh, I didn't realize that was the same guy. I that was yeah. completely lost in translation when you were when we were first talking about that. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, His name is Don Warner. Um, super cool dude. Uh, real, just old school about everything. So um anyway i this whole basement i think it's the basement is probably like two thousand square feet down here so it was a lot of room to work with and i wanted a tracking room and i wanted a lot of space for people to hang and um so anyway he designed it uh pretty much um from the ground up and uh so it's it's been a really cool space i mean it's been nice to just come downstairs and have this working environment. Um, and uh, I'm really blessed to, to have all this stuff, you know. Um, it's just been uh, uh, good to be able to, you know, over the years, just have be able to get all this technology and, and stuff. And, uh, and so anyway, like behind me, you can see that the wall behind me is actually uh, made of a fabric. And then behind it, there are hanging pendulums of uh, bass traps. Oh, wow. For about two feet deep like that. And they wow. just swing. There's only about an inch space, air, air gap between the pendulums. And, uh, and the walls are splayed just at a certain angles. I don't know. Uh, wow. Anyway. That's way above my pay grade, but yeah, very, it was very above fascinating. Mine too, but, <laughs> um, and then just the color scheme, you know, uh, I think, um, you know, um, I'm a huge fan of Hans Zimmer. And if you've ever seen Hans's studio, it is like, it makes my studio look lame. Um, hmm. Definitely Google Hans Zimmer's uh, okay. studio. It will blow your mind. Wow. So um, anyway, this mine is kind of like a mini version of his, but yeah, but again, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's a cool space to work. And um Although I'm down here constantly and uh, you get, you know, you get a little with COVID and everything. I've, I'm really, uh, I really just want to get out and yeah. Play, yeah. play out or do a session at another studio or whatever. But it's yeah. been, you know, when, been when you put, here. you know, when you put the, um, when you put the, the, the COVID part of it aside and just kind of get back to the essence of, of the studio, there really is something um, something powerful about being able to, to go to work, you know, like per se, mm -hmm. like you, it's like, it's like when you go downstairs, it's, it's like you've gotten your car driven to a studio. There you are in your workspace, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. separate from distractions. Um, even in my smaller setup here, mm -hmm. it's the same way. I'm just separated by, by some doors, but, um, this is where I get up and, and go to work. And it's kind of, 
is kind of understood that, you know, this is yeah. a, this is a sacred space for that. But I mean, it's, and you've got a nice, I mean, you've got a really nice space. Oh, nice thanks, man. Stuff. But, um, but man, it, it, when you, when you are sharing, um, I used to have a, I used to rent a studio space before we moved to our, our current house. And, and, um, I, I'm sure you, you've been there before it was music dojo Nashville is what I mm-hmm. called it. And, um, and, and that's what I was doing. I was, I was living in the same, you know, town in Franklin where the studio was. And I would get in the car each morning and I, and I'd go to work when we moved here, it just really, you know, the economics of it didn't really make sense to pay this studio right. rent when we had a close to amount of space for me to put my stuff in here. It was a little bit, you know, of a getting used to it curve, but, um, but I'm still, you know, like you, I'm so appreciative to actually have a space to work. Not everybody has that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, you just start somewhere like for people that are out there, like you don't need all this stuff to make great music. Uh, I have friends that have, you know, a laptop and they work in their living room and, I mean, that's at the end of the day, all this stuff that I have, it's definitely nice to have, but, um, you know, the results are, are not from all the gear, you know, I, I find, and tell me if you, you agree is that, you know, the first $200 you spend makes this like 90% difference in the sound. Hmm. You know, if you like buy a mic preamp, that's, you know, that goes from a little mixer mic preamp to a dedicated one, like, like an ART or, or some, some low budget, you know, like uh, one that's like built into your interface or something like going that, that distance and that price makes a huge difference in the sound. Yeah. But uh, when you jump, so the next step seems to be like $3,000 and you get that extra 10% of sound difference you know yeah after you mix it and do all that you know it's debatable about how much difference it is you know i i so appreciate you sharing that and and as an owner of a studio it's it's kind of a brave statement to make and we've you and i have talked about this many times before there's there's almost like um there's i want to say this diplomatically like there's there's almost like a chic um mystery to the expensive studio gear that draws everybody towards it. Right. But when it comes down to, and both of us have done this, we both you and I have actually sat down and we've a bead stuff, expensive, mm. you know, midline, even consumer line in some cases. Yeah. And when you, when you're a being those, you may be able to tell a difference, but in the context of placement in a track, I may be debatable whether or not you're going to hear that, that difference. And um, I remember one time I was, I was testing these two bass amplifiers mm-hmm. and I won't mention what they are, but one was the new and improved version of the old. And I was asked to compare them. How, how do they differ? And I think there was an expectation that the new version of the amp was going to have all this so much more character. And what I did was I, I kind of listened. I spent a lot of time. I took a a tone control knob from the old version. I moved it a little bit and then they sounded identical (laughs) to to everybody in the room, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying 
uh, you know, sonic advances, technological advances, you know, absolutely. You're, you're getting something when you invest that much money in gear. But to your point, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get a good sound. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, things for me that are irreplaceable, that are expensive, would be like, you know, I have a real B3. Oh, yeah. Or I have a real Rhodes and a real Whirly, uh, like a real vintage instrument or recording real drums like Keith Carlock's drum set is set up and mic'd up all the time in here. Right. So, gee, that's a nice feature. That's <laughs> a nice feature. Yeah. Uh, so those things, I mean, at that point, that's like, that's like a real, it's like your bass, you know, you have a lot of different bases for different sounds. That's going to make a huge difference in the sound, what instrument you choose, right. you know, um, but even the virtual instruments are pretty, they're getting better and better. And, and, and in the context of a track, it's not always, always noticeable for sure. Do you um, ever I, find that the virtual version <laughs> of something, you may not even want to answer this, but have you ever had experience where the virtual version of a yes, legendary thing sounded, worked better, sounded better? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I have a beautiful grand piano in my studio and um it's not always right for everything you know sometimes i'll have a you know if i'm doing a pop track like that's a modern pop thing or cold play kind of vibe or you know like the vibe is more of a a compressed upright kind of sound you know so it's it's not the right vibe you know so that's why we have tools for uh for for everything so yeah. Um, and it's the same with computers, you know, that probably, uh, irks me more than anything is the Mac PC, uh, debate. Yeah. You know, it comes, here's the, at the end of the end of the day, somebody's gonna, uh, send you an MP3. I, I'm, I'm handing something like the physical thing. Like I'm remembering those <laughs> days when we did that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's like uh, at the end of the day, nobody knows what you recorded with. Nobody knows if you were on a Mac or PC. Um, I've been PC now for three years. You know, my laptop's a Mac, but I was Mac my whole life. Yeah. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're very similar, uh, you know, and maybe the software you use is is on Mac or PC, whatever, but at the end of the day, it's what's between your ears and in your heart that makes great music, not, uh, not the, not the technology. Yeah. There used to be a time when the whole Mac versus PC thing was, was legitimately, um, you know, you had limitations based on which, which platform you're working on because, yeah, absolutely. you know, back in the day, it was like the, the majority of the, of the art centered applications or the creative centered applications, the ones that were industry standard were Mac only. And then obviously right. over, over time, that is, that has changed the install base of, of PCs it, worldwide is still massively more huge than the install base of, of Macs. Yeah. And so it totally not in music, you know, right. music definitely, uh, there's more Mac, um, right. in my world though, in, uh, uh, and, and this is, this is good for people like, why would you want a PC versus a Mac? It's, um, here's the thing, you know, I probably have a hundred thousand dollars worth of sample libraries in my computers 
And the way, unfortunately, that the Mac, uh, the way they've gone is, and, and it has been less of late, but they were changing the operating system, you know, every nine months, it seemed like. And uh, what would happen with software developers is that their products wouldn't work on the new operating system. And so you'd want to go, you'd want the latest and greatest, which would need the new OS. If you bought that, you'd have to upgrade. And guess what? Your old stuff didn't work. Right. So you have a project that was from six months ago in the film and TV world. And you're in, you're in some real trouble, you know, because you can't access those, those sounds, uh, let alone the process of upgrading. So mm. with, a PC or using a, a PC as a virtual instrument through Vienna Ensemble Pro, you can run your plugins, uh, your virtual instruments and uh, sample libraries on a PC, which um, it, it just doesn't have those issues. Like it's just going to work like when they change stuff up, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, as of now. Right. Right. Yeah. I Yeah. I just went through that whole thing myself with the with an os upgrade which we won't talk about that <laughs> yeah um, so I'm, i've wanted to throw every kind of computer out the window and yeah. drive back over it so yeah it seems there's there's no truly perfect solution out there there's not no, that, at least that, sure. that i've experienced yeah um so man we've got a long history of working together playing on each other's projects playing each other's bands and all that other stuff um you obviously are one of the players on, on my latest record, The World is Loud. Um, you played on a song called Without Love. And it's 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 such a cool feature piece for you because of um it, it it you've got a B3 solo in it. And it's man, it's such an incredible, incredible solo. Um can you just talk a little bit about playing on that song? Because I I know coming like like stylistically it was it was definitely something different not that you know you've had you've had experience in all these genres but yeah you know us working together that was that was was different right doing that that sort of thing yeah yeah i think uh yeah that track and i've listened to your record sounds really great man oh thank You're, you man uh, thanks it was cool to hear you you singing too yeah um, thank you yeah um uh but that track in particular um, if everybody doesn't know it already, Adam Nitty writes really hard music. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Like you're like, okay, wow. That um, you know, it's that is actually that is easily one of the most difficult tunes on the record, which is probably why I asked you to play on it. Because <laughs> I knew yeah. you could handle it. Yeah, dude. Uh it, it's hard, but it's it it was blazingly smoking awesome. Um Thanks. So, but yeah, as far as like soloing over that, I think it was in Odd Time Signature. Uh, yes. So um, that was that was tough to wrap my head around feeling that, and I think because I didn't totally wrap my head around uh, feeling it, it was like um, I, it, I my normal thing would I guess would be to play some virtuosic thing and maybe there's a little bit in there but but that i just wanted to explore all the draw bars and stuff with the rock thing you know yeah. like just hold it and change and mutate the sound and that was that was kind of i thought cooler than maybe playing a ton of notes man you know? it 
I can't think, I could not have imagined a part more, more perfect. And it's a nice, the, anyone who hasn't heard it before, I hope you will, you know, take a listen, but, um, the way you introduce that solo in particular, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's perfect because there's, there's so much like frenetic energy going on with, with the tune right. goes into this breakdown and it kind of, it just, it, it just bears down into nothing but rhythm section and, and your B3 and exactly what you're talking about. That whole like modulation of, of the, the sound and tone, it really draws you in and, and you got your burning moments in there, man. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it, but what, what yeah. I love about what you played is that maybe this is a result of you not, um, you know, getting super analytical. I mean, match this up, match this up, but allowing it to, like you do, you, you, you are a truly improvisational player. The way that your phrases lay on top of the time signature cycles was so natural. It was really, really cool. And um, good, I don't good know, accident. I, every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I think you gave me two solos to pick from. Mm -hmm. And and this one, they were both amazing, but this one, because of the way you started it, just... I fell yeah. With it. yeah i'm glad you picked that one it's cool that's so awesome man are you um like are, are you as when, when you sort of think about yourself in, in your voice as a um as a keyboard player do you kind of do you have more are you have more of a fondness for like the roads and the b3 the more traditional organic instruments or, or the newer sounds and tech or do you just like everything equal is there anything you kind of lean toward yeah. yeah i mean in its purest form i i enjoy probably just playing a real piano because like sitting at an actual instrument a good piano not a lame piano but a really <laughs> You know, a good instrument and definitely inspires you. And the piano is so expressive and it's, you know, inspires you to play amazing things. Um, but as a whole, uh, you know, I think as a as a film composer and producer, um, when I, I was a staff composer for Fox Television for six years and um, I did all kinds of music I would do. Like I did the Power Rangers, I did the Adams Family, I did the Ninja Turtles, and so awesome. Um, but then, then the, like back, that was in the '90s, and uh, they would be like, uh, "Hey, can you, um, you know, can you do a knockoff of U2 one week because we can't afford to license the real song? Mm. Can you do?" You know, can you do a, a knockoff of, you know, the Backstreet Boys or something like that? So it would be like all these genres I would have to do knockoffs for. So uh, before that, I, I would say I was pretty much a jazz snob uh, in a lot of my, you know, a lot of my music. And um, so being a composer and having to get get thrown into having to recreate sonically all kinds of genres you start to discover hey man this is uh there's some there's some really uh, uh not so easy to do things about everything hmm. you know so like what makes rock rock or what makes radio pop radio pop um i hear so many people bag on radio pop music 
and I, de I definitely, you know, am in that category sometimes. Um, but you go out and you try and make that, that pop hit or that pop track. It's not as easy as you think, because uh, if you could do it, you would have done it and made a ton of money <laughs> on it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I had definitely a, a more, uh, a less snobbyish attitude regarding music and um it's it's kind of opened my um my playing in a lot of ways too so you know getting to play on your record you know which is uh just a kill and rock thing uh I, I mean my dream is not to play in some some jazz band you know in a small club in europe it's like my dream is to play in some insane rock band that's like in front of a sea of people. It's a festival. <laughs> I'm with you, man. You know what I mean, I'm totally with you. Yeah. You know, and wear some crazy clothes that they, you know, design <laughs> for you or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like surreal, but what you, uh, what you said is it's so interesting because there is, there is this sort of, um, there is this common misconception that, well, if you can play jazz, you, you can play anything. Um, you know, the idea being that because of the sophistication of jazz music and your understanding of harmony and an execution of, of improvisation, you know, over, yes. over that, like, that just means <laughs> you can do these other genres because they're, they're quote unquote, easier to, to play. And that's really not the case. Uh, each, each genre, there's a legitimacy to it that requires immersion into it to really understand what makes it yes. tick, right? 100%. I think the uh, people ask me, like, you know, I, I teach film scoring. I mean, this might be a good segue to uh, promote something is that, you know, my film, I'm going to, I'm have been developing over the last year and a half an online film scoring program and music production thing. Um, Super exciting. And that should be, yeah, that should be released hopefully in this next month or so. Um, but uh, what I tell people is, look, if you can't like that music, then you have no busy uh, business producing it. Hmm. So, um, I mean, we're all as musicians going to play on songs we don't like. We're going to go to sessions that you're like, wow, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, where the song's not good. But as a producer, uh, you have to find what uh, what other people like about this mu music every genre has a huge following right and so there's something that connects uh people um on an emotional level with different styles of music whether it be country it be pop jazz funk um so if you want to play that music well you have to live in that music and you have to find what's beautiful about that music and if you can't find that, I don't think you're going to play it well, you know? Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really, really important. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you just talked, you made a reference to, to producing that kind of music, you know, and I was, you're exactly right. I mean, I was, I was coming at it from the angle of, of our perception of being able to play it. But like you said, to, to actually take the producer's role, this more objective from the outside crafting that within the genre in a legitimate way. How are you going to do it? If you don't, 
if you don't know what makes that music tick, if you don't know how it connects, it's, it's, it's super, super great point that you just made about that for sure. Yeah. The film scoring program that you're going to be offering, mm-hmm. what is, what's kind of the end goal? Like, so there's so somebody who's signing up for that and I don't know, yeah. I don't know if it's going to have tears to it or whatever, but, but yeah. what can, what can someone who signs up, what can they hope to achieve by the end of going through your program? Well, the, the film scoring program is really geared for uh, somebody who has a music background, who wants to start making money in film and television, whether you want to be a full-on composer or you just want to create uh, stuff for TV commercials, for promos, you want to create stuff for music libraries, learning how to make passive income through, uh, you know, on the business side, Uh, In film and TV, I've had um, uh, a lot of my students go on to score score movies and uh, get uh, work in libraries and promos. Um, And from a just a practical standpoint, what what it is is um, I break down throughout the weeks of the program and and throughout the lessons. It's go it's going to be go at your own pace, but we've actually interviewed the entire orchestra you have you will get a breakdown of every instrument of the orchestra its uses its ranges its colors how it can be used in in an emotional sense oh that's amazing uh, the psychology of every instrument how it's used in film and tv and then from the orchestra we move into technology sample libraries how to create strings and orchestral mock-ups that sound real um all the technical aspects of syncing up video to your your music program and um, all the lingo in the film and TV business, we demystify all that. Hmm. And then we go uh, uh, from there, I've, I've, I've actually paid a director to shoot a bunch of scenes. So you will actually be scoring scenes with your own setup, even if you don't have a great setup yet, it's okay. The point is you're going to be learning how to deal with picture. You're going to be learning how to write music that fits different scenes, different uh, styles, you know, so we'll have an action thing and then we'll have a romantic comedy and then you'll have something that's suspense. And um, then you'll have something that's like an animated thing. So you're going to get a, a broad experience of writing, actually doing it, which is different than a lot of like, you know, I, I won't say anything bad about uh, masterclass, but um, a lot of these are people talking about their career in it. Yeah. As opposed to you doing it. Yeah. And wow. So this, this is going to be the probably the biggest online film scoring thing you can do outside of signing up for, you know, Berkeley or, uh, you know, a, a major university. And even then, I got to be honest with you, there's there's just so much stuff in this program that is going to be real world that you just don't get. Like you, you're going to get a lot of my experience and of what to do, what not to do, the business side of it, how to market yourself, how much should you charge, all this kind of stuff. Like where do you start, how, how to do music for libraries how to how to do sound design like it's just it's been a it's a massive undertaking but i think um if you're at all interested in that side um 
it, it's number one, it's going to be challenging and fun and hopefully it will easily pay for itself. Mm. Um, so it's going to be just under $400 for the, the program. Which wow. That's, that's amazing. Compare that to going to Berkeley, you know, 20, $25,000 or whatever, yeah. the 400 bucks, uh, it's a really great investment. Okay. Wow. Commercial's over. That, no, that's great. And, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm already planning to sign up myself. I mean, that sounds amazing. Is there, um, is, where can people kind of keep up with the progress? Is, do you have a mailing list yeah. for this or anything? It's a uh, film score Okay. It's going to be where it's marketed. Um, and that's, that's right now, but it, it's, you know, uh, pre COVID we were doing a lot twice a year. I was doing a live <laughs> in studio here five weeks of film score training every monday night but um that has kind of gone away and so but this is going to be even better than that because you're going to get to do it at your own pace and the amount of information i give you i'm not limited by the time so you're going to get just a ton of info so great man thanks for thanks for telling us about that really really cool do you feel like um you know, with the advent of all the libraries and stuff like that, I mean, is it is it getting harder and harder for a person to make any money composing because everybody just chooses clips from libraries? I mean, how is how do you kind of continue to thrive in a world where everything is is like bite size and a la carte? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for um, for composers. Um, yeah, you, you definitely, the more well-rounded you are as a musician, it's usually can help you. So I'll put it like this, like if you're really good at orchestral music, like John Williams, um, there's like a lot of guys that can do that. Right. And they do it at a super high level and Hollywood before COVID was only making 60, feature films a year right so that's not a lot but when you consider the market that every single company um on this planet um just about has video editing and they need music uh for their company for their videos um they need they have tv commercials they have radio commercials they all need music so when you think about the market like that, it changes your perspective from, hey, I just want to score the next you know, Star Wars movie. Well, we all do, right? But the truth is that a lot of my stuff is, is, is these, these shows, these reality shows, these um, promos, like every day there's promos going on, right? Uh, for ESPN, for for all these uh, networks, they need new music. They, they're not, you know, what music they had in the past, they need new stuff. They can't use the same stuff over and over and over and over. So they're always looking for new music. So if you're good at what you do, um, I think there's definitely a place for you to make money. Um, no. You just have to be a little more creative. And, um, you know, there are definitely some things that, that hurt us in the industry. There's some like 
you know, Spotify ish versions of music libraries now that make it hard. Yeah. Um, but the, the networks, the real networks are still buying music. They're still licensing music. Music licensing is another, another thing. I do a lot of trailer music. I do a lot of, uh, trailerized pop music that would be for promos, you know? And so, uh, if you're good, I mean, nobody's going to say if, if you're not good at what you do, you're, you know, it's not going to, you know, you're limiting your, your chances, but if you're good at what you do, if you, if you really can make solid music, um, I think there's definitely a lot of places where you can make money, you know, outside of just playing and touring. And that's that's kind of why I got into that. Right. was, uh, in LA, I was maxed out on touring. Um, I was, I was just like, I did a lot of cover band gigs, you know, which I, I think that's another side topic, but I think being in a cover band is probably one of the most important things a musician can. Man, do. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I, I agree 100%. Please explain why you say that. Cause I, I think I know what you're going to yeah. say, I think, but I think, um, you know, learning to, uh, learning different styles of music, you know, the history, you're learning the history of music, Yes. whether you're playing a Beatles, you know, a Beatles tune, you're playing something from Sinatra, you're playing, um, you know, the latest pop thing from, um, you know, whoever's got the latest hits or whatever, like you're learning different styles. And you're also learning to work with other musicians and you're, you're learning your feel and your time. And um, there's just no way of getting around being in a cover band, uh, you know, unless you're just a virtuoso guy, you know? Yeah. Um, It just, uh, it's like, I don't know. It's probably the best thing you can do. Yeah. Gosh, there's so many levels to that. Um, It's funny, you know, when I was a, a young punk musician, um, and I was doing cover tunes because I was, you know, I, I was kind of misguided by, by not having a, a real mentor at the time. You know, you're a young player, you're, you're captivated by people playing fancy and fast and all that stuff. So I'd get on my cover gigs and essentially just destroy the bass lines with overplay and, you know, wrong tones and all that other stuff, thinking that, Oh, this, this is, this is cool and flashy. And I, you know, after, after having very humbling moments, you know, coming up as a player, uh, playing with people who knew much better and, and being corrected, sometimes gently, sometimes not gently at all. Um, I started to finally, you know, understand, oh, wait a second. You know, this is an, a, this song's been written. It's, it's, it's a hit already. It's established. People love it the way it is. What is it that, that makes it great? Or what is it that makes it connect with people? that is a, that's a deep commitment you got to make. And so like, if I'm doing, um, I'm doing a tribute gig this this weekend and you, you said it, you're learning the history of the music. This is a thing where we'll be doing, um, LA studio musician oriented, you know, pop tunes from the seventies and and eighties. And it's, it's, you know, it's just about all studio cats in the band and the whole idea as a tribute thing is to pay an homage to it. I can't tell you how, um, 
how educational and how enjoyable it's been going back. And I, I, I'll get obsessed with it. I want to match the tones exactly as they are. I want to match the feel exactly as it is because I know it makes you better. It makes you Im improve. So again, man, I'm so glad you brought that up because some people poo poo the whole cover band thing because they, they yeah. feel like they may be above it. And there's so much. No, I don't. I mean, even the guys down on Broadway, I mean, great, you know, do, do what you, do what you got to do. It's a, it, it's a good, it's a good thing. I think um, also, and tell me what you think when it comes to both improvising and the way we feel like at the end of the day, I don't hire a guy cause he sight reads most of the time really great. Right. That could be important on a certain session, but I hire a guy based on his feel mm -hmm. and your feel is an amalgamation of, all these things you've learned because i find that like if i really break it down when i'm creating something for a song I, i'm i'm not just always reinventing things i'm playing something subliminally that i've heard or felt i'm a huge george duke fan yeah like a lot of my feel and playing are from george duke uh russell Ferrante, mm. and bruce hornsby like those three dudes and in jazz, you know, a lot of chick Korea, but, um, but if you were like, if you heard my playing, you would know that it, there's a lot of, um, you know, that it, it's kind of just takes from that. And you hear those guys in my playing because yeah. I've listened to them and loved them so much. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Man, there's something I'd really like to ask you about because I, I've, I feel like your, your perspective on this is, is really valuable. You know, you kind of were, when you're talking about your, your film scoring program and the whole idea of making money and, and, you know, uh, to paraphrase, kind of work your way up the ladder in the compositional world or, 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 um, um, whatever music making world, uh, creating things. Um, something I've always admired about you since I met you is, man, your work ethic is, is just, it's second to none. Um, I feel like you never, uh, you almost never have idle time going on. I feel like you've, you've done an amazing job of, of naming each every hour of the day and assigning some, some purpose to it. Um, if we're honest and speaking from, from my perspective, the majority of creative types are, are, are a lot of times their own worst enemy. I put myself into this category because I'm very ADHD. Um, what? <laughs> oh, look, a squirrel. Um, I, I, uh, I think that it's unfortunate, but this is, this is the reality. It's like there are amazing creatives. They're amazing musicians, creators of, of art who unfortunately really struggle with the business side of music right. and they have um you know the the the, the challenges may originate as as early as um what to do with what they've they've created and then from there it can expand into other challenges as well my the only way i've kind of been able to survive and stay on a particular routine with the way my creative brain works is um I've had to a get good counseling and advice and, and mentorship from people who 
who have um, similarly been able to overcome these certain things, these, these challenges in their life. Um, but, but number two, realizing that routine and organization, it's, it's the lifeblood of, of my, my progress. I, I live my life out of, out of uh, Google calendars and appointment-based you know, r- routine and stuff like that. You know, every, every morning when I get up, I, I get a cup of coffee. I do my little devotion for the day. And then I'm looking at the daily calendar. I've got a master to-do list and I'm trying to figure out where does that fit into today? That is not my innate nature. It seems to come yeah. natural for you. What do you tell musicians who, who you recognize as being so talented, they could do so much more, but they're just they're, they're really struggling in the business and organizational side. What, what would you tell them? Yeah. Well, first of all, it doesn't come naturally for me either. I struggle with it all the time because part of the problem of having all these toys around me is I want to mess around with them, you yeah. know? And um, I would rather be doing my own music than working on the business side of things, right? Um, so that is, that is hard. I think, um, I think accountability for me is, is so important. So if you want to improve your business game, um, a lot of times I find super creatives, they don't even, they're either okay where they are, or, um, if they're not, they they need to seek out some other people, um, some mentors that can help walk them through it. Um, and I have uh, uh, a good friend, Steve Bliss. Uh, he's been a longtime mentor of mine. And when I was in high school, um, we sat down. Um, uh, we went to the same church. Uh, he was a worship pastor at my church. And uh, and I was all over the map as far as what I wanted to do. And um, so he said, I want you to write down a 30-day plan and then a six-month plan, a one-year plan, and then a five-year plan. So, And those were like goals, right, what I wanted to do. So doing that and writing it down, like taking the time to actually write it down, um, I found that in five years – I had pretty much met most of those goals. Like I was a working musician. I had my first record deal. Um, Like I I was doing really well. And a lot of that was actually writing it down. This year, uh, last year, I mean, obviously there wasn't a ton going on, but um, I went back to uh, a day planner. Where where is it? It's over there. Um, But just writing, writing things down is uh, really important. Um, and um, the Google calendars and your phone, they're cool. Like some people are wired for like that. But me, like when I open the calendar and then um, I have a page for every day. So this day, I'm like, what am I going to do today? What do I want to accomplish? Because there's a difference between being busy and and moving the ball down the field oh right? amen that's everybody so everybody's busy so great you know mm-hmm. and the people are like oh, i'm 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 so busy i'm doing stuff already yeah but you know a year from now you're going to be busy i 
and you're you're gonna have moved the not move the ball down the field at all, you know, most likely. Yeah. If you don't do something different. So um some some of that is for me is limiting all the stuff that I want to accomplish, right? Mm. Um, um as you know, I mean we're we're doing all kinds of other things and um, I've got to figure out what's most important and really focus on that or, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, get to it, which means that some things I just have to say no to. And some things yeah. I've got to, you know, obviously, you know, my family and all that stuff is important and that's at a priority. But, um, but as far as what I need to accomplish, um, that's, that's based on my goals and what where i want to see myself next year at this time because uh i hope next year at this time i'm i'm in a different spot yeah and the only way i'm going to get there is if i if i make a plan and yeah. uh, and stick to it mm. man thank you for that feedback it's you said so many you included so many gems in, in what you were saying and oh my gosh i can so relate to the idea of being so busy and not really accomplishing much for the long game. And mm -hmm. I think we, I don't think it's intentional, but I think we get fooled into believing that we're busier than, than we are, or <laughs> I should say we have more um, primary responsibilities uh, that, you know, that, that are really there. And, um, you know, from a, from a creative's work perspective, it's like, it's just like you said, you know, yeah, I, I'm like, you know, I've got all these instruments around here. I've got, got an upright bass now that, that I got really serious about last year. And, and how's that going? It's going great, man. I fell in love with it and I'm still learning obviously, but, um, yeah, that's cool. But I, I did my first gig on it. My first legit gig at, at, uh, at my church, um, not, not too long ago, got to sort nice. of test myself in a performance setting. It was, it was a huge confidence builder and, and, um, but I've got that. I've got bass guitars in here. I've got the the keyboard in here. Obviously, every anything software related. It's like for for somebody who didn't have an agenda whatsoever, they come in and they love music. It's like, oh, I want to do this for a while. Oh, let me do this for a while. Let me do this. It's all fun. It's all like it's all fulfilling from an enjoyment perspective. Yeah, and it all seems but, like you're. It seems like you're doing stuff. Like, oh, I'm doing stuff. You yeah. Know? But you know, here's the thing: is like social media and all that stuff uh like it's one of those necessary evils i rarely get gigs from social media yeah you know it's like uh i get frustrated on social media i get that yeah but i, I don't <laughs> usually get like i get some work off of social media but that's not my main thing yeah at the end of the day you know who hires you your friends yeah. your friends hire you and people that have relationships with you mm -hmm. so Am I taking the time to reach out to my friends, see how they're doing? Like, uh, and it's in the film and TV world too. It's like you, um, there's a difference between somebody being a colleague and somebody being a friend. And you, if it's at all possible, you want to become genuine, not like, Hey, what can you do for me? Yeah. Kind of friends, a genuine friend. And most of the time you're going to find that, your work comes from genuine friends yeah. and uh, we don't, we don't want to think that sometimes that's not the case. It's solely based on your talent, but uh, those relationships, th those building the, that network 
is uh is about getting on the phone not necessarily texting and and all yeah that, you know uh, man and, and that's that's another thing i love about you is is um you'll still call me on the phone <laughs> i think i could count on one hand the number of people that still i still speak on the phone with and um and it's yeah, this is not that. to this is not to demean the idea of you know, somebody texting me or whatever, don't, don't misunderstand, but, but you like me still appreciate the idea of a um, spontaneous real-time interaction. And, yeah. and to your point, I like to say that um, career building is it, it's a result of relationship building, putting the emphasis right. on the relationship <laughs> building. It's like, you know, the more the more relation, legitimate, like true relationships you build, whether you are planned on it or not, I think that ultimately helps you in your career. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. How many times have you called somebody and it's like, you're just talking and it's like, oh, hey, man, I've got this thing coming up. Maybe, you know, you, we want to do it or whatever. And that's like, that seems to be how you you move things forward, you know, as opposed to um uh i don't know just you know putting things out on social media which you know i do like crazy but i do that out of my more out of my boredom um <laughs> sitting in this room 24 7 <laughs> yeah uh, than anything else but you know truthfully is is um um it's it's reaching out to people and i and i need to do it more too um you know it's do you uh, think that um do you think we could have, we still have a music career uh, just the same with, if we eliminated social media from our, our personal, I'm asking you this cause I think about this all the time. It's like, it's, I, you know, is what is social media really, really doing for me as a career thing? You know, cause, yeah. cause a lot of us are just poising it as a, we poise it as a career move or a career, career necessity. And that's, what's kept me on it. I I'm trying to have, real relationships with people outside of social media and don't get, you know, it's got its blessings and I've, I've reconnected with people. It's been, it's been wonderful in that way, but all the work I put into social media promotion, I'm not sure that it reciprocates yeah. for me what, what I would expect, you know? Yeah. I think it would be naive to say like that you don't need social media, um, you know, but, I think there's a difference between like when you put out your new record, like, it's, Oh, Adam's got a new record. Cool. You know, that, that I think is, is, can be good and uh, letting people know stuff. But um, if, if there's just that and no co human connection outside of social media, I don't think it does a lot for you unless you're marketing a, a product. You yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, here's another business tip at the end of the day, man, your music career, you are a product or service, you mm. know? So on, uh, sometimes you have to ask those hard questions to somebody who's not your buddy, you know, it's like, um, uh, I remember, um, Danny Chambers, pastor Danny Ch Chambers, mm. God bless, uh, you know, rest yeah. in peace, Danny. Amen. Um, he was, he was great. He always said to me, you know, Mike, go ask, go ask somebody else. Uh, who do men say that I am? Mm. 
you know, and that's a hard thing to hear, you know, because the perception that you have determines the reception you'll get. Yeah. And um, so, you know, sometimes like I can come across as really harsh or opinionated, or I can come across as, as this guy who's like intimidating because of my background or whatever, you know, and, and same with you. I mean, you can come across as intimidating just because you're a virtuoso on your instrument. And so sometimes like we have to overcome those things um, from a perception standpoint because um, uh, somebody doesn't know that Adam Nitty can kill a funk groove or kill a rock groove or, you know, same with me. It's like, Hey, Mike can do more than Mike can do a country session. And it's, he knows, you know, he can do a great job. Mm. Um, so it's just like, it's like um, just overcoming the, um, the perception of what you are is developing the product that you are, you know? So um, sometimes like, uh, for me, it's like not just always putting out crazy jazz stuff, which I probably put out too much. Uh, I need to just put out simpler stuff because when I'm on a session, uh, I don't play like I play on my Facebook videos, right? Uh, but people may not be calling me because I'm putting out these crazy Facebook videos playing a bazillion notes, you know, in a yeah. virtualistic manner. Um, so, um, I don't know. It's a tough call. It's a tough call because there are people who that's what they want to see from you. They're, they're so excited and inspired by it. But then at the same time, it's like, that's not, that's not the brand that you will put on the tune in the country session. Like you said, it's just, it's, it's tough. I had a, one of these, um, I did a prior interview last week. It's going to be going up as well. And we talked a lot about perception and identity. And um, I talked a lot about when I first moved to Nashville and people telling me, Hey man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't share your fusion stuff with people, you know, um, you know, you don't want to. And, and I, you know, it's funny. I abided by that um, guidance for, for a couple of years, but I got to a point where I was like, something doesn't feel genuine about this. It's like, you know, right. I want to be proud that I can do a variety of things and I can't, no matter what I do, I can't control people's perceptions. I might as well try to make the music wherever the music is for what the music is. And have I lost gigs before or not been called because somebody made a judgment call? Yes. Many times. Mm -hmm. But what's weird is that my, (laughs) my first session in Nashville, when I moved, I got because one of the producers was a fan of bass guitar and saw me doing silly fast stuff. and was like, Oh, this guy would be so cool to have on the set. I mean, you know, you never know what is going to pique someone's interest in what you do. So you might as well just be yourself and, you know, uh, you know, God willing, you, you take a path that, you know, you allow to, to be guided on and and you do okay. But um, yeah, man. Back to your point. I think, well, I think you can uh, not have a social media presence and um, and do this business. I really do think so. Um, I think it is good if you if you limit it, but um, I think for sure you can uh, 
just because most of my work doesn't come from social media. Yeah. Back to my film and TV or when somebody wants to produce a record, um, it's based on my re reputation or stuff that they've heard. It's not because I posted something on, you know, yeah. on Instagram or whatever, you know. But look at the look at the truly busy legends out there. I think of, you know, one of my, one of my favorites is, is Nathan East, um, you know, mm -hmm. from a bass playing perspective and he's on social media, but he, he rarely posts or if he's posting a lot, I'm not seeing it. And, you know, I'm following him in different contexts, but you know, it's, does that affect his ability to, to pay the bills? I don't think so. <laughs> he's yeah. still, like you said, he's built these relationships over decades that right. that will sustain him i'm sure for the rest of his career and and um i don't know it it's isn't it always about balance at the end of the day man i mean you know you gotta mm -hmm. you gotta you just have to be careful and be a good steward of of your time and, and your investments and and make sure yeah. that and, and you know i i will of course always jump in with my uh spiritual side that yeah would say hey man you know uh, I'm a Christian and I believe in God. And at the end of the day, I just trust that God's got a plan for my life. If I'm willing to do the work and I'm willing to work hard, I may not always make the best decisions, but yeah. you know, I, I just trust that he's going to take care of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's honestly, that's, that's what I'm alluding to. And I'm talking about allowing your path to be influenced, you know, I think, I think God's the one that can kind of help you, eh, you know, I you need to move more this way. Let me move you yeah. over here. But the most important lesson I think from that is unless you're trying to move forward, you can't steer a car that's idle and not moving, cannot change directions. But the minute you start to move forward, now the steering wheel works. Yeah. So, you know, you can't just freak out and just go, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to do anything because I don't know what to do and get overwhelmed with that. And I've done that before, but, but to allow yourself to, to trust for my, okay, let me just, let me try to move in this direction, but I want to be yeah. open to, to, to shaping this, this path because I don't know ultimately where, you know, where this is going. So the best things that have ever happened to me uh, in a music career and, and in other areas of my life, happen because of change not change i was expecting a lot of times sometimes it was it was change i engaged in mm. but had i not been open to change had i not been open to learning um i tell my students this i say you want to know how to succeed uh in the music business make learning your number one thing at the top of your mm. and learning will have its own reward if you're like if your percept if your goal um is just about money um and not about learning your your chances are you're not going to get to the money mm. until you do do some learning there's just no way to get there like money is here and the only way to get there is learning yeah. um, and experience and so uh you don't just jump here so make learning super high on your list, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully that uh, one sort of tertiary point that, that comes from that. It's one of the most humbling lessons that I've had to learn. It feels like I have to repeatedly learn it. It's, it's, 
along with learning, it's like, be careful also not to assume you know what you think you know. <laughs> yeah, I, that's yeah. the best way I could think to say that. 